Hello and welcome to Social Work Sorted, the podcast. I'm Vicky and I founded Social Work Sorted as an education platform with a difference for newly qualified social workers. I have worked with students and newly qualified social workers who come out of whatever training programme or university programme they've chosen and still don't feel comfortable and confident with the skills that they need to do their job. I hope that with my podcasts, with advice on my Instagram page and with further writing that I can support students or newly qualified social workers who feel that way and help you feel equipped with the skills that you need to do your job. If you're new to this podcast, then welcome. I hope you find this episode helpful. And if you have listened to other episodes and found them useful for your day-to-day work or interesting in terms of learning about different people in social work, then I'd be so grateful if you could leave a rating and a review. It really helps me to understand what's useful for you in terms of what I put out on these podcasts. For anyone who's interested in more learning, my monthly masterclass is running on Wednesday the 8th of June. The masterclass is going to look at direct work and assessment skills and this will be a really good introduction or reintroduction for newly qualified social workers who want to build their confidence. This is also going to be really helpful if you are a student and you're about to go out on placement or you've done your first placement and you maybe want to revisit some of the skills. I'm going to look at the do's and the don'ts and some misconceptions around direct work and assessment skills and really equip you with some tools that you can use across the board regardless of the type of assessment that you're going to be doing. I end every single masterclass with a meditation and mindfulness which most people say is the most helpful part. It helps you switch off from the end of the day so you can take in some learning but you can also relax as well. If you're interested in that, I'll leave all the information in the show notes. And if you have any questions about the masterclass or what that looks like or whether it's right for you, then please just get in contact with me. I'm really excited for you to listen to this podcast episode. It was such a pleasure to record and speak with Grace, who is the campaign director for Music for Dementia, which is an incredible campaign that you will know much more about by the end of listening to this podcast. I have to say this week in social work has felt quite challenging and I think it often feels that way when there is a review that has come out. I've been reading the care review and trying to think really carefully about what is being suggested and put forward and trying to organise my thoughts and listen to the thoughts of other people in the field to get a grip of of what I think really and how I should take the care review and knowing that there are some upcoming serious case reviews that are going to be released in the next few weeks can often feel quite difficult I think particularly for those of us working on the front line of social work it's easy to feel really despondent and really hopeless and I feel like I had this conversation with Grace at just the right time because I ended the conversation feeling really full of hope which might sound really cheesy but that's just how I felt and as someone who loves music anyway talking to someone else who is so passionate about music but who also has all the science behind why we should be valuing the power of music was amazing so I'm gonna stop talking now and let you listen before I do I just have to say there is some background noise throughout the recording I think Grace was in her office when we were having a chat so please please be patient with that I'm so sorry there was nothing I could do to cut it out but everything that Grace says is so valuable if you just try and focus on that and not the background noise then you will still get a lot out of the podcast so hi Grace welcome to Social Work Sorted podcast I'm very excited to have you on today because I love social work and I love music so talking about both of them is a really good thing for me so for people who are listening and haven't heard of you or haven't heard of Music for Dementia you're the campaign director aren't you and I'll just start with you giving a bit of an introduction really about Music for Dementia and, and where it all started 
Well, look, thanks very much for inviting me to have a chat with you because um, similarly to you, I absolutely love music, but also really um, just really uh, impressed by the work that social workers do. And I think I was really um, struck when I was doing my music therapy training by just how much work social workers do. The, the social workers that I sat in offices alongside and watched them work tirelessly, I just thought they are super passionate people with like unending hearts of good. <laughs> so <laughs> been a re- I'm a massive fan of social workers. But yes, I am the campaign director for Music for Dementia. So Music for Dementia is a national campaign that's calling for music to be an integral part of dementia care. And you might question, well, why music? And I think, well, as lots of people listening will know, we don't have a cure for dementia, but we do have, I, I really firmly believe this, an obligation to do everything that we can within our power to help those living with dementia and those caring for them to have the best quality of life they possibly can as they live with that very difficult and challenging condition. And what we know about music is that regardless of the severity of dementia, where somebody's at in their dementia journey, music has the power to reach them and help them connect into the here and now, connect with the people that they love and be seen for who they are beyond their dementia. And that's really why we believe that everyone living with dementia should have music as part of the care that they they need and deserve to have. And it is just such an amazing campaign. And I think because I'm in child protection, so a lot of media and writing and podcasts around social worker based in children and I know a lot of adult social workers and I think adult or child whatever age you are you're always going to connect with music but I think it's really important to shine a a spotlight really on a particular cohort of people and like I said it's not just people who are living with dementia it's it's everyone around them and probably people listening might have personal experience of that as well as having professional experience of it as well and it's something that is really easily accessed isn't it to all of us when we're looking at at care plans so I wondered I didn't know that you did um music therapy probably didn't research you enough but I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your background and how you got into the to the role that you're currently in as part of the campaign of course yes and really it started with me training as a musician but not wanting to go on and be a classical performer in an orchestra but wanting to do something a bit more relational with the music because for me music is all about people and relationships and connections and when you're performing a particularly in a very sort of formal way you'd lose some of that connection I feel and so I stumbled across music therapy long after I'd trained long after I'd finished my music uh, degree and did a couple of introductory courses and shadowed a music therapist in a day center in Hackney and in in East London and it was there I had my first encounter with people living with dementia and the way that music therapist was able to bring all of those people in that group into the present moment with music was the most extraordinary thing I'd ever seen. I didn't, I just didn't know that that kind of thing existed and was even possible. And it felt like a bit of a calling. That probably sounds a bit evangelistic, but it really was a moment of, oh, hang on a minute. I think this is what I want to do with music. So I I went away and I did my master's as, as a music therapist. And, and then when I finished my training, I was working for the then association for um, the for music therapy and it, it went through a merger and became the British Association for Music Therapy but I went straight into working in profound and multiple learning disabilities with children 11 to 18 did a lot of work with social workers obviously there's a lot of child protection issues in that space then worked with younger children all the while keeping in mind very much with my my other roles around dementia what was happening as as dementia was starting to come into the conversation a bit more And I then worked with younger children, again, in a a special educational needs setting. And I was also doing some work in acute psychiatry at that time. And then my work with the uh, British Association for Music Therapy continued to grow. And we started to do more around music therapy and music and dementia. And at that point, the Utley Foundation, which is the foundation that backs the Music for Dementia campaign, was starting to to move into this space and starting to look around and I did a bit of work with them and then this resulted partly in them conducting commission 
at the end of 2017 and 2018 around uh, the power of music for people living with dementia. And they, the, there was a report that was published and it very powerfully made the case for a campaign to, to bring music more into the mainstream so that, you know, all this patchy work that was happening could be joined up so much more and that more people could have access to music as part of their dementia care and, and for us to start positioning music as a really important part of care and not just this nice thing that gets added on if you're lucky because somebody likes a bit of music that actually it's really seen as a valuable tool in our toolkit when we're working with people with dementia and so the opening came up to, to join the team in 2018 so I've, I've been with the team since then and, and I was also actively practicing as a music therapist at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital this time with even younger children, I was going down in the age group, <laughs> right, oh. right into maternity work. But as the campaign took off, it needed more of my time. So I have continued to, to hold my role as a music therapist by supervising music therapists alongside leading the campaign. Okay. So I find it so interesting how so many social workers start in the creative arts. So my training was in drama and I always wanted to go into drama therapy and they were my first roles before as a social worker I was doing community theatre work and I had Joe from Immigration Social Workers on the other week and her first degree was dance but I think it's all about connection isn't it and the different ways and routes that we can connect with people and it's not actually that far removed when you come down to the heart of that relationship based work. No and I, and I don't know about you in, in your role but I always find it's like the modality that you're working can be a real shortcut to making things happen you know whether it's communicating with somebody or helping somebody understand or see the world in a different way or just to you know you'll find it really difficult to make the communication happen in in everyday ways but actually you throw a different modality into the mix and suddenly things move on in ways you wouldn't have expected yeah definitely I always say when I work with newly qualified social workers especially with young people maybe they can't tell you how they feel but they'll tell you what song they're listening to right now or that and I'm the same you know I would always put a song on that reflected how I was feeling or I would listen to a piece of music and think yeah that's how I feel now and we all do it don't we we all connect in in those ways so I know and I've kind of read and if anyone goes on the website and looks on it there's loads of different case studies on and I know you talked a bit about your first introduction into using music for dementia, but I wondered if there was one case study that you'd either read or something you'd directly experienced that sort of stuck with you more than others that you would share with people listening. Oh, gosh, there's so many. <laughs> I think I think there's, a, there's two. And, and there's a reason why there's two is because they both stand out for me for very different reasons. The first is Paul Harvey. So for those listening who don't know Paul, he hit international stardom with his four notes that he improvised. He, he, he is a lifelong uh, musician and composer and he was really struggling actually. And it was his son who said, come on, dad, get back to the piano. And he got back to the piano and he improvised and, and his son, Nick gave him these four notes and, out of absolute thin, he improvised the most beautiful piece of music that Nick happened to record, and then it went viral. And so much has happened since then. You know, we got Paul up to Manchester and he conducted the BBC Philharmonic and he's been on TV and radio countless times. And, you know, he's a, he's a real known celeb. We, we went out for lunch together and someone said, I know that voice. Oh, it's that famous Paul Harvey. He's that amazing man Aww. that does incredible things with music. And actually seeing seeing what that did for him and what music does for Paul is quite extraordinary because Paul is like anybody else living with dementia you know it, he has his daily struggles but the way that Nick describes it he and he describes it so much better than I could ever but what I've seen is that music gives something for for Paul to work towards you know there's a project in mind there's something to work towards there's something that keeps the brain active and stimulated and him engaged and him connected so it's all those benefits I see all the benefits of music lived through Paul when he's engaged with music which is really really exciting and of course he's he does incredible things with music because he's a musician at heart and he's had a lifetime of music embedded into his brain and his fingers and his body but I've also seen the other end of the spectrum where somebody's never had an experience of music before they've never thought of themselves as musical 
and they've been in a group situation and you can see that they've come from a very difficult home situation you know the care is exhausted they're exhausted they're not getting the right care and support that they need and they come to a you know a music and, and dementia group and they get the opportunity to play an instrument sing a song whether it's music they know or don't know but they get to have a new experience and then they say to you afterwards gosh that's the best thing I've done for years and you just think oh to us as as musicians and music therapists we think oh this is well this is our every day but actually for some people you realize they don't get these opportunities and they possibly never had these opportunities in their life to you know have these experiences with music and here they are in the grips of dementia trying something new mastering something new and and going away with a greater sense of self more confidence a greater sense of self-esteem connections with with people who are caring for them that have been touched in a, in a way that they haven't before and and also being seen for somebody beyond their diagnosis and being able to contribute because so many people who are cared for have stuff done to them all the time and one of the joys of music is it's about being with people not doing too so it gives people that voice that opportunity to contribute so they're, they're sort of two two ends of the spect musical spectrum, if you like, from somebody who's never really had a, a musical experience to somebody who's had a life of music. But I, I'd say that they both they both stand to benefit from the power of music. It just shows, yeah, it shows the reach of it, doesn't it? And the massive, massive possibility and, and range, which is the same across all of music, isn't it? And I yeah. suppose it's not just... The there's there's so many social and psychosocial benefits aren't there and it's about absolutely not just the skill but being part of of something and with other people and interacting but it, there's a, a massive body of research building up isn't there I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that in terms of some of the the science or the developments that are, are happening absolutely and I think what's really nice is seeing some of that evidence translate across into policy so in 2019, music therapy was put back into the NICE guidelines, the NICE quality standard on dementia, talking about how important it is for meaningful activities to be provided for people, of which music therapy was cited. But also we saw music being listed in the COVID guidelines for people living with dementia, which is great. And we've not been able to do that without the science. And the science is really exciting and explains to us why you know we, we learned we were learning so much more all the time about how the brain processes music and how does that still work when people have dementia and it's because music's processed across the whole brain and not just in one region which is why a particular type of dementia takes over you can still recall memory you can still recall lyrics and we know that it's not just our brain that processes music you know we process it in our hearts in our minds and our you know our bodies and we have these biological responses as you say there are psychosocial benefits of course there's the psychological benefits but there are biological benefits you know we know that the the reward and motivation and reward networks are stimulated through engagement with music which um, can help motivate somebody if they're you know, if they're struggling a lot with apathy, we know that music can be a great way of drawing people out. You know, we also know that if somebody gets particularly agitated and they're short of breath and their heart rate goes up significantly and they're becoming more and more agitated and the cortisol levels are going through the roof, if the right music's played in the right way, suddenly dopamine's released, cortisol reduces, heart rate goes down, breathing slows, and everyone takes a deep breath and they start to relax. And we think, how do we manage this situation? Oh, we're managing it. We're managing it with music. What do we need to do next? And suddenly the whole atmosphere changes. So we're learning about all these benefits, but also the, the sort of real intricacies of like, what is going on when we make music with somebody? Is it the quality of contact? Is it the relationship that's formed through the musical relationship? Is it the human-human thing that's having the benefit? Or is it actually the music? Or is it a combination? I think this is where the science is going to get really interesting is how do we, how do we separate out what, what can we attribute to what in terms of what happens when we have a musical experience? Because I don't think you can separate people from the music, but we also know lots of other research shows that when you are seen heard and felt by another human you instantly feel safer 
and more comfortable and more confident. And music's a, a really lovely shortcut to making that happen. But you can't do that without the person. So, you know, I think all the this, this physiological and biological and neurological research will keep going because there's always more we can learn about the brain and how it processes music and, and the body and how it processes music. But I think there's also really fascinating research that's more human orientated that looks at relationships and the quality of relationships and contact and you know is that eye contact is it you know tone of voice and how does that relate to music and musical experiences it's so fascinating isn't it like there there is just no end to it and I th- but I think for for social workers who are listening when you're advocating for people the research is there isn't it that they need or everything that you absolutely about it all they need to do is go on your website so I think because sometimes I think you anyone who hasn't looked into this area who doesn't have a knowledge of the area or should obviously be aware of the nice guidelines but if if there is a barrier or some red tape up Mm. against that if there's a social worker who's advocating for a certain thing on a care plan it's all there to say here look here's the evidence and it and it's growing already isn't it absolutely and and for the power of music report that we launched in april which is looking at the power of music across the lifespan and how we use it to support health and well-being. I I really wanted to make sure that we included a really important stat in there, which is around the need for medication and or or rather the that we can be doing things differently with music to prevent the over-medication of people living with dementia. We know, as the report that was published last September set out really clearly. We're in a crisis of over-prescribing medication in this country. It's scary. And we know there are other things that we can be doing to support people rather than instantly reaching for drugs. And there's a there's fantastic research that shows that music therapy particularly can reduce the need for antipsychotic medication in people living with dementia by 67%. That's extraordinary. And it's how it comes back to how do, how are we with other people? Like, what does it mean to be with other people? When somebody with dementia is distressed and agitated and they're frightened and they're asking for their mum on repeat, they're saying, where's my mum? Where's my mum? I want to go home. Where's my mum? No drug in the world is going to make that person feel safer, happier, contented, comforted. What that needs is time and it needs validation. And it needs to say, oh, tell me about your mum. What was she like? Tell me about your mum. Was she good at giving you hugs? You know, or what, what, what was her hair like? Did she like music? And then suddenly you notice instantly that that person's no longer agitated. They're no longer asking for their mum on repeat. And there's no need for medication in that case. And sometimes that's all done through a piece of music or it's done through song all that, you know, that conversation about the mum happens through the music. But there isn't a need for medication in that instant because it's not about that. It's about that person being seen, heard and felt. And, and music's a really, really powerful way for giving voice to, to so many of those, those feelings that dementia causes because of the condition and what it does to somebody. So yeah, and it- absolutely, the evidence is there and I'd, I'd really encourage people to go to go and look look at it yeah and I suppose I'm really interested in how we apply things to practice and across the board and I think for me what stands out is a social worker as a lead professional or any healthcare professional really that's working with an adult with dementia for example if they are in in a residential home where we know and I have worked in you know can be very high stress jobs and there can be lots of things happening at at different times and there might be staff that are different levels of qualification I think maybe in practice what it looks like is a social worker making that so clear on the care plan so that staff can connect with that person you know as and when so I know that there's lots of different places that might have this picture of a person as they were younger or it might be something that tells you a little bit about their past and maybe bringing Mm. music into that it it not only tells for example the, the care worker about that person but music connects us all doesn't it so I think then if that's something that's included as a as a must that you know what music that person used to listen to or what calms them down or, or what yeah. has worked before it's another level of connection 
for for that relationship to kind of carry on and it's such a common theme through us all isn't it in terms of music yeah absolutely and I think what's really exciting about the role of social workers is they don't have to do the music so it's not about social workers suddenly becoming virtuosic musicians (laughs) it's not about that it's about social workers being musical champions and saying, have you thought about how helpful music could be for this person? Have you had a musical conversation about Jack? What do we know about Jack and his love of music? Because we always hear him singing. How do, we, how do we tap into that singing to help him when we know that mealtimes are really, really difficult? What do we do with music for Jack at mealtimes so that he's better fed? And then, you know, that helps with the physiological, biological side of things. We know that he's he's better nourished but also how that then helps staff they're not using as much energy there's not as many members of staff it eases the resource pressure but also it makes it a much more pleasant for everybody around Jack at mealtimes suddenly it becomes a bit more convivial and a more pleasant experience so it's being really lateral in the thinking around how music can help a situation and and thinking about how do we make the care that's being provided musical how can music aid the care you know if somebody finds a transition really hard then how do we how do we use music and actually I was giving a a webinar for some uh, social workers a few weeks ago and I loved it I absolutely loved it because there's a social worker who piped up and said oh can I tell you about music I've I've got it in my toolbox I said yes this is music to my ears wonderful wonderful and she gave me this example of this lady and she goes to a day center she has dementia and at the end of end of her session she obviously has to go home and they pop her on the bus or they try and pop her on the bus normally the the transition from getting the, from her being in the day center to the bus takes three members of staff plus the social worker the bus driver and everyone gets stressed de-stressed very agitated upset angry you know all of that and you know nobody wins in that situation and the social worker said we've got to be able to do things differently We've, got, we've just got to think about this differently. He said, I know what, this woman loves this particular song. I'm going to put it on my phone and see what happens. So she sat with the lady and, and got the song going. And before she knew it, that lady wanted to get up and dance. And at that invitation, suddenly they could dance their way to the doorway and then they could get onto the bus. And so, she, you know, she helped her onto the bus. But at what point was that lady agitated? She wasn't. It was the most beautiful bridge to get that lady from the day centre onto the bus. She had a pleasant journey home. The bus bus driver enjoyed driving her home. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen to her because she was content and happy. Didn't require three carers. And everyone won in that situation. And and yet that's such a, a simple idea, but it didn't require anyone to be a musical virtuosic. You know, it just required knowing how music could be helpful and what role it could play in helping to make that person's quality of experience much more pleasurable and, and deliver a quality of care that's sensitive, thoughtful and person-centred. And it, you know, you hear that story and it, and a very easy and, and kind of thoughtless reaction would be kind of, oh, how idealistic is that? But it's not about being idealistic you we all have phones that we can access music on generally it's Mm. it's not an inaccessible thing it's it's a very small step and like you said all it required was knowing that music could be helpful and the reduction for everybody that was involved in terms of stress and anxiety most importantly for that lady is massive isn't it and I think of children transitions for children transitions for all of us are really hard aren't they so when you when you're at a stage in your life where for whatever reason you can't manage that they are things that we should be implementing and weaving into our care plans as necessary. And the research is there to say it. it's not it's not just anecdotal, is it? It's all evidence based. Absolutely. Um, and I think also I was just going to add that, you know, we, we know that with CQC inspections, for example, settings that have an outstanding or high rating, there is a direct correlation to the inclusion of music in their in their uh, reports. And those that have the need to require or not good enough, they don't have the inclusion of music. We did some, we did some desktop research around that, and it was really powerful that all of those homes that had outstanding or good had music included in, in their core offer. And that, that's really heartening because it, it, it sort of helped emphasize that music has a real role to play in 
enhancing the quality of care. That's so interesting, is it? Well, it's interesting and then it's not can when because when you hear about it, it doesn't become surprising then, does it, in terms of how music can can change the atmosphere of where people are. So for you and, and for Music for Dementia, the campaign, where would you like to see the future for people living with dementia or affected by dementia and, and the relationship with music? Great question. I would love everybody living with dementia to have the opportunity to have music included in their care if they so wish. What we're not saying with the campaign is that everyone should get the same musical offer. Music needs to be personalised in order to, for it to have its greatest benefit, greatest impact. And therefore, it's about finding out what music matters to somebody, why it matters, and how they would like to experience it as part of their care. And for that to be reviewed ongoing because what somebody might be able to manage at the beginning of their dementia journey will inevitably be different at end of life care so it's about being sensitive to the fact that somebody's relationship with their dementia will change over time and so too will their relationship with music and being live to that and making sure that that person gets the right music for them at the right time delivered in the right way across their journey but I think the other thing is that we all just embrace this idea that music is good for us full stop and that it's particularly good for people with dementia. But again, as you've already mentioned, it's, it's good for, for lots of other people living lots of other different experiences. But also that, that health and social care practitioners feel empowered and, in comfort, and confident in using music as part of the care that they provide. Again, it's not about them being uh, highly trained musicians or music therapists. It's about them having the knowledge and, and saying, do you know what? I think music's got a role to play here. I'm going to do my best to make it a part of the care. And if, and if I can't do everything, I'll speak to so-and-so who'll be able to help me make it happen. And, and for music to be really valued at a, a sort of systemic level. So we have care providers who appreciate value and position music as a key part of their care offer, that we have the highest recognition from government through policy that music is a key part of care and that we then get into a position where music activity is really well funded because as as all of your listeners will, will be experiencing and know particularly as they're at the front line we are in for a bit of a rough ride and that's a bit of an understatement in terms of what's coming with the cost of living crisis and what's already upon us and we need to be finding ways in which to we, ways in which we can get through this crisis we've we've lurched from crisis to crisis and we're still dealing with the impacts of the pandemic and music has never been more readily available so we need to be using it to address some of these societal issues that we're facing and to help us manage the everyday stresses that we all experience so for social workers to be thinking themselves you know how do I I have a very intense job it's emotionally draining it's psychologically draining I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders often. How, how do I process that? How do I step away from the job at the end of the day? Where's my, where's my boundary? Can music be that boundary marker that lets me say, right, enough. I need to say that I've done my best today. I've done everything within my power. Here's my, here's my transition song. <laughs> here's my song to yeah. say, I'm going to go and be me. I'm going to go back to my family or my friends or whoever. This is my cutoff song. And now I'm going to do the bit of me that I need to do in my day. And then there might be a song that gets them back into work the next morning or whatever it might be. You know, so it's how do we help people to use music as their own sort of health tool so that we so that we as a society embrace the therapeutic benefits of music much more because there's so much more we could be doing with it to support our own health and well-being. So, no, I'm not very yeah, ambitious about idea. what we want to do. <laughs> And I think because it is so accessible in terms of coming down to the very basics of knowing that there will be a song that will make you feel really happy, either because of how it sounds or because of the memories you associate mm -hmm. with that. And that, you know, will work for social workers who are stressed and experience burnout, which is very real, isn't it? Yeah. And oh, when I yeah. do I run masterclasses for social workers and usually people's favorite part is the meditation at the end and usually the favorite part of the meditation is actually when I stop talking and they just have really calming music because mm. it's obviously affecting them physiologically as well isn't it absolutely and I, and I think that 
you know, lots of social workers hopefully will be working in MDTs and they might they might have contact with a music therapist. And I'd say talk to a music therapist. Is there something your music therapist that you work with could be doing for your team every month? So is there like a is there a drop in open group uh, music therapy group that helps where you can you can play and, and sing and talk about your experiences and and process some of what's going on you know I know lots of music therapists are very keen to do workplace led support with teams so if you have got a music therapist in your team go and nab them talk to them have a conversation about how they can help you and help the team because it's that old thing isn't it you can't help other people unless you help yourself and and I'd say use use your music therapy colleagues. They're there to support. Yeah, I think it's always twofold in social work. Anything that will help us is going to help other people. But exactly. we have to experience it helping us first. And then we can talk about that with people of how, well, this is actually what I do. Because it's it's okay for us to share the music that we like or the music that we, we don't like. And it's it's another form of connection, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to come back to some of the things that you said because I, I want social workers to listen to this podcast but also to be able to have really actionable things that they can do when they go back to their work and looking specifically at adult social workers who will be working with adults affected by dementia I know you've talked about already very specific questions that they could mm. potentially ask a person or ask somebody's family what would you say are the most important questions that they need to ask when looking at music I think the I think some of the most important questions in that musical conversation when you're being a bit of a musical detective is uh, what music matters to you and why how do you like to experience it uh, and and when might it be helpful for you um, what does it remind you of um, is there music you don't want to listen to um, and why might you not want to listen to that music does that person have a hearing impairment because that will impact um, on how they experience the music and actually if if they've got a hearing impairment or they struggle to hear and they don't know they've got a hearing impairment they're not going to get the same pleasure from having a musical experience Likewise, I think it's also really important to understand what kind of dementia that person has, because, again, the presentation of the dementia will have an impact on how they sensorially process the music. So you don't want to be um, playing music with somebody who actually, you know, take, for example, they have PCA dementia, so dementia which affects the back of the brain and that it's really difficult to process things on a sensory level. You don't want to try and put them in an hour's long interactive music making session if actually they can barely tolerate five minutes of music you know you're going to do more harm than you are good in that scenario and I think if you're if you're able to establish some of these questions and I think lots flows from it in terms you know the, the conversation will organically grow and I'd say the other thing is that if this person isn't able to verbalize with you what their musical preferences are then it's something about a who's around them are there other people around them that, that know them well enough to perhaps answer on their behalf or encourage or support them to, to voice that in some way themselves? And if not, is there some, is, if, if, if they don't know them in that way, is there somebody that can help you do some protective work? So you take, as you say, the care plan. What, what does that profile say about that person? What hobbies did they have? And, and is there music that might be associated with that hobby um, from the time that they were growing up? And then you can start to do a bit of detective work. And again, it can be something as simple as on their phone. They were a football supporter. So what was the music that was being sung in the terraces that's associated with that football club? And then can you build out from there? You know, if they, if they were singing that in the terraces, then what might they have been dancing to on Saturday night? You know, and... and it's very quick to spot somebody's response to music. It's very hard to resist the pull of music, isn't it? You know, you find yourself clapping or tapping along or, you know, suddenly there's a little sparkle in the eye and you're like, oh, okay, that's the song we could add to the list. Um, and, then, and, and then it's involving people in that conversation. So get it into the care plans, you know, make sure it's up front, not on page 99. It's up front along with all that other really important person about what makes that person who they are. And then be advocating for that person. Going back to that musical champion role, it's then saying to the, you know, their 
their key carer or the care home manager. Do you know, Jack absolutely, absolutely loves that Beatles track. And do you know what? We know mornings are really difficult for Jack. What about if we had a go experimenting with playing that Beatles track when we're waking him up in the morning and seeing what happens? Might not work. It's, it's a bit about experimenting. If you don't know that person, you've not been able to have that verbal conversation and get that information out. But then it's, a, you know, it's just about being a, a bit of a detective and experimenting a little bit with the music and, and working with others to do that. And if things aren't included as part of a care plan or if, because I know the way forms can sometimes be, I don't know if you've experienced it in any of um, your settings, but if there's not a section on a form, you almost can't add to that. However, it isn't that difficult to add sections to forms, even from higher levels of, of service managers. So I think for social workers who are listening and have done this before, but kind of have thought there's nowhere for me to put it, find somewhere to put it, but also go higher. It takes five minutes to send an email to say, please, can we consider putting this on a form? Link your website with all the evidence and put that forward, because that's how change happens sometimes within local authorities, I think. So anywhere that you know has done that or changes that have been made to the way care plans are made? Yeah, I think people have put it up front, really, in terms of, you know, this is so-and-so and they love this, this is this, and they must have this. And they, they've just been really bold about it often. And they've just put it in or they put it in where they shouldn't have put it in, you know, um, alongside the medication requirements or something like that but the other thing for social workers listening is that we've got a guide for social workers on how to embed music into care plans on our website and in that there's a prompt sheet with ideas of questions to help guide that hopefully what will be a fairly organic question but how you can take an answer and translate that so for example Jack says I uh, really love music from the 50s and 60s uh, because I used to dance to it all the time, it makes me feel amazing. So, th- in the next, in the next sort of translation column of that, it's Jack. Re- music really matters to Jack. It reminds him of growing up, reminds him of good times, and if the right music's played, it makes him feel great. And then, so we must include music as part of Jack's care because we know it has a really feel good impact on him. And then that's the kind of information, those little nuggets you t- can put across into the care plan. I'll, I'll link that in the show notes for people because that will be really helpful. I've just got a few more questions. One, I sort of wondered how music for dementia is considering cultural competency and anti-racist practice along that because anti-racist practice hasn't been at the forefront, I don't think, of social work until the last two years. And how it's important you know when we're referencing music we might be referencing music that's quite specific to one local area or or one country or one culture what are the considerations that social workers should think about that's a fantastic question and I think for me the way I've always thought about is personalization so if we're really truly seeing that person for who they are we'll be taking their culture their ethnicity uh that everything about who that person is, their, you know, their, their history, their experiences into account. And I think what music can do is in a very non-threatening way, help draw that out and help people to recognize other people's culture, recognize other people's ethnicities, their spiritual orientation, their sexual orientation, whatever it might be, you know, the, the whole facet of that person, because, you know, music is our life in sound. And so you can learn so much about somebody and really celebrate and acknowledge their diversity, but also make it inclusive and make them feel as though they belong through music. And I think, you know, we, we, we probably haven't got time to go into like all the different ways a music therapist might do that, but there's something about being able to celebrate someone for who they are through their music. And if, and if you, you know, it's just, it could be something as simple as what five songs tell me who you are as a person. You know, does that song tell me where you grew up? Does that song tell me who you got married to? You know, what you did as a job? You know, there's all sorts of ways of establishing who somebody is through music. And I think that when you take that music and particularly in areas where it's very culturally mixed, it's very socioeconomically mixed, you know, and you've got a real melting pot of people, being able to draw upon those different musical profiles and celebrate people it's a really good way of, of building that into anti-racist practice because actually you're, you're opening up 
different worlds to people and celebrating who those people are through the power of music. So I think that through a personalization route, you can you can challenge stigma, you can challenge judgments about people, you can ja- challenge mistruths, if you like. So I, th- I think music can be a very, very powerful tool for social social good, actually, in that way. Mm. And I'm, I'm just thinking as well about sort of how you said how it's so individual to people and to think about the songs that um, people don't want to listen to as well, songs that might be triggering for whatever different reason. And here, you, because when you were saying about football chants and um you know that can football and sport is such a powerful thing for people isn't it but there's also some really negative connotations that lots of people who might have experienced racism will think so I guess being so mindful of how two different people and their musical experiences might change particularly maybe in a a residential home if you've got lots of of people and where people are situated and, and accessing music I suppose as well. So absolutely. And I think the I think the thing is, is being really mindful of that. And that's when, you know, the skills of the social worker really come to the fore because they'll they'll know how to navigate that, you know, and, and, and create balance. There's a the, the, another music therapist told me a, a lovely story about how there were two people that would have dinner together in a care, completely different ends of the life spectrum, you know, in terms of everything about them, race, culture, you know, you name it, they couldn't have been more opposite. And it unsurprisingly they had really really different different uh, musical preferences but there was one song that they had in common they could they could not bear each other you know it was you know swords at dawn kind of thing they they just couldn't bear each other but this one song once the carers clocked onto this and realized that there was one song that they could both tolerate it meant that they could both have a meal together they could both be in the same room together And it was a completely different experience. So there's always scope for commonality with music as well, because there's so much music in our canon, you know, and that gets passed down through generations and across cultures. So music can be a wonderful way to bring people together as well. Yeah, definitely. No, I I massively agree with that. And I think everyone has probably experienced that at some point in their life where like if you're watching live music or listening to it you could be with people who are completely different from you but you're all kind of having the same experience but a different experience that's the power of it isn't it I could talk about the power of music all day I guess you could as well (laughs) Um, before we finish usually when I've had social workers on I will ask them what piece of advice they would give to themselves when they first started out so I'll still ask you (laughs) but obviously when you started out in in music therapy what is the one piece of advice that you would give your yourself that's a fantastic question I would say gosh what would I say I would say if I knew now what I know about the power of music I'd say lean into it and own it and, and embrace the humanity of music and the, and the social change and good it can do because music changes lives and there's nothing more amazing than seeing people's lives be turned around or take on a different trajectory or be supported or enhanced through the power of music and what that does for other people. And it's music is an amazing gift and it should not be held onto. It doesn't belong to any of us. It's there to be shared. And I would say go and rave from the rooftops about the power of music and the impact it can have and the impact. And for me, by extension, the power that caring for others can have. It, you know, everybody needs support at some point in their lives. Some people less, less than others, maybe. But, but we all need each other because we're social creatures, but we're also musical beings. So when you put those two things together, you know, music and, and socializing and, and being together I think you have a recipe to re- to really make a difference to people's lives oh that's so amazingly put <laughs> I agree with all those things that's great advice and really good advice for, for all the social workers that are listening who I think will have loved this conversation as much as I have so thank you oh my pleasure it's been such a lovely conversation thank you so much so for anyone listening I will put all the details in the show notes but do you want to talk a bit about how they can find out more about music for dementia 
Thank you. Yes, if people would like to find out more, please do go to our website, musicfordementia.org.uk. We're also on social media, so go and find us across all the social media channels and do get in touch. Don't ever feel you can't. There's always somebody that will um, answer an email and I'm always happy to talk to people if they've got questions. So do talk to us. We'd love to, and we'd love to hear your stories. That's the other thing. If you're a social worker and you're using music, we want to celebrate you and your work. We want to champion what you're doing because you're delivering amazing musical care. So get in touch and tell us the stories. Oh, thank you. Yes. So anyone listening, do do that when you've gone away and whatever you've learned from this podcast, let Grace and, and all the team know. So, yeah, thank you so much, Grace. Thank you. Thank you. So I really hope that you enjoyed listening to that conversation and hearing everything that Grace had to say and learning more about the Music for Dementia campaign if it's something that you didn't know much about beforehand. I just wanted to say thank you to Grace for giving up her time to have that chat and I felt like I learned a lot as well and if you do go to the Music for Dementia website which I'll link in the show notes there are so many resources that are just so interesting to read in terms of the power of music and whilst obviously we were talking quite specifically about adults who were experiencing dementia I definitely think that there is so much value in the information that Grace shared and how we can use that regardless of what area of social work that we work in and even for ourselves in terms of making a a bit of a playlist which I'm definitely going to focus some attention on doing this week maybe like a decompression playlist for on the way home from work so if that's something that you do or choose to do after listening to this podcast please let me know and if you have any questions for me or for Grace after this podcast then do get in touch and we can pass them on to her As ever, I would like to invite you to just slow down before we finish this podcast, whatever you have to go and carry on doing after you've been listening. Just take a pause and a big deep breath. I'd always invite you to slow down. Remember this calm feeling that you can come back to. takes less than 10 seconds to just stop and take a deep breath. Thank you so much for listening and take care.